Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, I'm joined by Brett Walsh, Executive Vice President of Human Resources and Organizational Development for Graycore, a privately held family of companies employing more than 1,200 construction specialists. Brett is a member of Graycore's executive leadership team and is responsible for delivering people programs in areas including recruitment and selection, talent development, succession planning, retention, total rewards, organizational development, employment branding, and employee engagement. He is an advocate for the personal development of his employees, and as you'll hear in this conversation, he's helped build out a robust development program within Graycore. The core of this conversation is focused on how Brett and the rest of the leadership team really turned a command and control culture into one of personal development and servant leadership. There's a lot that goes into that. Brett talks about all the different areas that that hits and how you really have to create alignment, create some specific language that everybody's talking, and then get some wins along the way so that you can get everybody to buy in. It's a great conversation for anybody who's trying to improve the culture of their organization, strengthen the leadership within their team, and really build a better business. I think there's a lot in here, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here is Brett Walsh. And we are live. Brett, it's good to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to diving in here. I know you and I have had a lot of conversations around people development and how you guys do that at, at Graycore. But I think just to level set before we jump into this, it'd be good if you could pitch the company. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so, you know, privately held, third generation family owned. It's a group of companies that will celebrate our 100th anniversary next year, 2021. Congratulations. Yeah, good stuff. A lot to be excited about. We employ about 275 salaried staff and management folks and another 700 plus direct hire craft construction folks executing construction projects from coast to coast. Um, we're a mid-sized construction company that's large enough to handle large, tough, complicated projects. For the last, wanted a hard job has really been our moniker for the last, for, for decades, how we kind of originally got our start taking on jobs nobody else really wanted. So we're large enough to do some of those tough jobs, but small enough to provide our clients with that kind of personal care and attention, small enough to where we know all of our employees' names, you know, really a lot of our, most of our employees' spouses' names, pretty flat organization. And, you know, where folks feel like they're more than just a cog in a big machine. And our midsize makes us rare these days. Most of our competitors are, you know, relatively small local regional players or like mega companies. So 
there's not many mid-sized companies like us left who can provide that type of you know ability to handle a big job but enough care and, and personal attention and what are some of those complicated jobs like what are some of the industries or verticals that you get into yeah so we, we kind of split up company-wise by building type you know we have kind of our heavy industrial side where that's a lot of stuff in uh, work in the power process uh, metals markets and we tend to self-perform that work meaning we direct hire those craft professionals and uh, we do that across the midwest and then in the southeast markets both on a union and marriage shop basis those tend to be very complex safety intensive a high degree of quality usually there's welding involved and then on the other side of that we do commercial buildings as well different company commercial buildings light industrial type of projects a lot of retail a lot of entertainment uh, a lot of office and quite a bit of logistics work you can see these days a lot of distribution centers and things going up across the country we do a lot of distribution center work so during covid you can imagine our retail and entertainment which is theater work is evaporated uh, but we've got sure. so much work on the distribution center side with some large you know clients that you would recognize their name certainly uh, both on dry storage and cold storage across the country west coast east coast all points in between that there's more work than contractors and teams to do the work right now so that has really kind of kept us real busy the last couple of years so you've got those divisions that are like you said based on building type mm -hmm. how do those interact with each other are they individual silos and people work for one of those and and they don't touch the others but the leadership talks to each other or are they kind of do they all report up to one person what is what does the structure of that look like yeah i mean it's interesting i think that historically it has been the case because it's you know you kind of tell yourself that hey we're our own type of company we have unique challenges that are different than those but over the years we've actually tried to bring those together and we kept them separate and siloed for very specific reasons especially on some of the union non-union stuff but over the last couple of years we've been trying to gel into more of like kind of this one gray core approach where you know we want to ensure because our clients are starting to look like that too where we can kind of ensure our clients have a similar experience with us around how we manage budget schedule safe and high quality execution of their construction projects so we've kind of over the last couple of years we've been talking about more about one gray core and so historically it's exactly how you laid out the leadership would talk to each other but within the operating companies they didn't spend a lot of time with each other and now we're starting to share resources way more frequently across companies and we're i think we're better for it we truly are so I want to get into that later, but I'm going to, I'm going to pause on that one and ask a couple questions in the meantime, because I think we'll come back to that, that concept of melding those silos together. How would you describe the, the culture of the employees at the company? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I've been with the company for 10 years and I've been my entire career of human resources and organizational development, learning development has been construction. And so most companies tend to have, at least historically, and have now maybe shifting away from it, tend to have kind of very command and control cultures. Like there's usually folks in leadership roles who are engineering, technical-minded folks who are excellent problem solvers. That's why they do what they do. But it also means that them, those same folks, it gets reinforced over their career that they think they have all the answers, right? And pretty soon they act like they have all the answers. So there's a lot of like 
you know, the most macho person serves as kind of the all-knowing wizard of that company and nobody can make a move unless that person says so. And over the last 10 years, we've really shifted towards more of a, you know, flipping the York chart upside down and more of a, you know, we had talked before in the past, a little bit more like a a servant leadership uh, culture where we are here for our employees to provide them the resources and tools learning, training, and mentoring they need and not the other way around, right? That we're here for them. They're not here for us. And so that type of culture is, it's evolving as we speak, but it is certainly taken hold and it is, we're a better company for it because people are smart. They have good ideas and we want them to have ownership in how they, you know, manage their business, how they solve problems so that we are challenging them so they can become future leaders. And we've seen the downside of only having one person have all the answers. doesn't leave you with much of a pipeline for development. Yeah. Well, and I've heard, uh, I've heard the saying two is one and one is none. So if you mm-hmm. only have one person who's got all the answers, you're, you're very exposed. Correct. Now we've seen that. And the way that you describe that is how I would describe sort of the stereotypical construction environment, right? Like from somebody on the outside looking in, like, what would it be like to work at a heavy duty construction company? Like, you know, those are some of the words you you talked about, macho, command and control. You know, you didn't say alpha male, but you know, that could be thrown in there too. Sure. sure. And, and, And yet I know from our conversations that you have done a lot of that work to turn that on its head. What was the impetus for that switch? Was there a moment where somebody said, you know what, this isn't working? Or was it more of a gradual shift? How did that work? Yeah, that's interesting. When I went, when I interviewed for the company, I mean, I think that, I think a lot of it was recognizing that they, some of the leadership and the, the ownership might recognize that we were asking people to make decisions about people that they didn't feel like they had the full confidence that they knew what they were doing uh, or they didn't know what best practices were. And so, I mean, that's why they were looking for someone to fill that role to begin with. And then I think, honestly, I think it was a gradual thing over time. I, I think long-term they recognized, hey, we can't continue this path. We need somebody in this role who can bring ideas, fresh perspective, and um, come to us with some creative solutions on how we could maybe do this better. And so I think it was a testament to the company recognizing that they didn't have maybe the thought leadership in the organization they needed. And then I think just gradually it grew as we kind of, I came on board and as we flushed out our team and what that looked like, pretty soon you start building some credibility with what you talk about and how you talk about it. And so I think for us being, a, you know, the, the approach of being a business person first and an HR person second really mattered to our folks because we could speak the language of business. Uh, so that was important, but pretty soon you start getting some wins on the board and be like, hey, if we approach it a little bit different than what you guys are used to, you can get this result. As that all evolved, I think we started recognizing that we had gaps in the pipeline significant gaps in the pipeline of talent and that we were not challenging people to get qualified to take on new roles. We were simply promoting them into new roles, but they were just really good individual contributors. They were not very good leaders of others. So is it fair to say then that 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 impetus was just they just somebody realized that they needed a person to lead the people side of the business, to lead human resources, talent, you know, whatever you want to call that division that nobody was really an expert on the people side of the business and they needed somebody to come look at that. And then they brought you in, you build out a team and just over time through your conversations, 
you ident- like you said, you identify some gaps, you get a couple wins, identify some more gaps, get some bigger wins, and, and it's just kind of rolled on from there. Is that is that a fair that's right. summary? Okay. Yeah, that's right. And because it's all so interconnected too, because it's not just about how you, it's not just about the culture. It's not just about how you develop people. It's everything. It's your entire people management approach. It's how we hire. It's where we hire. It's how we onboard. It's the clarity of expectations we provide. It's our compensation philosophy. It's our rewards philosophy. How do we incentivize the right behaviors? I mean, so all those things have to be aligned and in sync. Otherwise, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get friction points. And so I think that added a lot of unique value that the company Amity had not seen up till that point. And so honestly, a lot of those good ideas and good questions were coming from the business leaders. They just needed someone to help kind of funnel those and kind of like really attack the issue, attack the problem and really just come up with some good ideas. And many of the good ideas came from them or just things that they had brought from different companies or construction peer groups that they're familiar with. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a team effort uh, to come up with, you know, the right answer. You know, a lot of times we talk in organizations, it's not about who's right, but it's about what's right. And that was definitely that type of approach really served us well throughout just how we flushed this thing out and built this thing out over the last 10 years. It's been fun. I've heard that it's not who's right, but what's right. But it's always good to like write that down again and take that as a note. Because sure. I, I just think it's so important to remember that. And one of the big themes that's come up on this show a lot is humility. And it just the reminder that we all need all the time that humility is important and that it's about what's right, not not that you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does the process look like to align all of those different pieces? Because that's a, you, you rattled off a lot of different pieces that kind of fit into that big pie. And I can imagine that could be a really daunting project to take on. And it can also be too much change for people to stomach if you try to rip the whole bandit off it at once. So what does the process look like in the beginning to get alignment, to even figure out basic strategies, you know, what you wanted to be aligned to? What is, what does that look like? What do those conversations look like? Well, it was easy. It, to my mind, that was a relatively easy exercise because the company operates by such strong core values that that was, you know, once you have alignment on like what is most important to us, who do we want to be? What do we want to be? Once you have clarity of those values, that the rest of it becomes a lot easier just to point your ship in that direction. And so there's one thing I will say is the, the company is very, very strong on its core values. And one of those is being a family style culture and the development and growth and, you know, helping people achieve their potential. And so no one's going to, nobody was there to argue with that. Like, well, hold on. I don't believe in this because it costs too much money or something like that. I mean, once we had that, it was very easy to make sure that the efforts we were taking were for, were aligned with those core values and the overall strategy of the company. And the biggest challenge was prioritizing the gaps because we could identify throughout the hiring process, the promotion, you know, the development process, the culture, how we compensate. Like we could identify that there was gaps in, we say we want to be this company, but the consequences we're getting from how we approach this part of it, hiring, development, compensation is not aligned with that. And so, you know, we had to go through each part of our business and really kind of do a a gut check and an audit 
of like, okay, well, where do we have misalignment? Some of those are easy discussions and some of them were not because there's, you know, longstanding practices that people like, and there's, you know, all the things you uncover with, well, we, we've always done it that way. You know, you obviously you go through that whole effort. So, um, <laughs> see the key is having the right type of rigor in the discussion before they just weren't even having the discussion. It was just like, well, we're just in cruise control and this is how we've always done it. So as soon as you already started asking the right questions about, well, why do we do it that way? It just uncovers a whole lot of good ideas and good discussion. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, it does. I'm curious too, though, and this might be getting into the weeds, but I think this is interesting and, and worth talking about is like, what was the forum for those discussions? Because it's one thing to say like, oh yeah, we talked it out, but like, like where was, did you hold special meetings to be talking about that topic specifically? Was it brought up in management meetings? Was it one-on-one conversations? What, what did the conversations look like? A lot of them were one-on-one discussions with people who had the most influence over the organization. One-on-one discussions between me and that person. What I could tell you is that the current COO and president of Graycore, Dave Wing is his name. He's been with the company for 26 plus years. And when I first met, I did not interview with Dave. He was a vice president at the time, but I interviewed with his boss, who was the president of the buildings group. And Dave was, he's, I'm not afraid to tell this story because he tells it all the time. The first lunch we had was like on day three of my, the first week I was there. And he was in a bad place personally and like professionally. He was frustrated with the, the company and the culture. He felt that what we said we do and who we said we were, we weren't. And so like his big question to me was, how do you think you're going to help with any of this? And I appreciated the candor and I was just like, "Ah, we'll see. I'm like, I don't know yet because I don't know what all the issues are, but we'll see. And, you know, him and I started having some really good discussion. He carried a lot of weight in the organization because he was a solid performer. Obviously, the guy's now become the future CEO. And so had a lot of good conversations with him. Uh, My boss at the time, Matt Gray, actually hired me. So just having good discussions with Matt, then pretty soon you're just having the right discussions with the right people who tend to have a high level of influence and have a loud voice in the room. Once you've had the right discussions with those folks and you're aligned and you're seeing things similarly and you're giving them new ideas and giving them new things to think about, they one, get excited and two, they, they start pushing it for you. You're not pushing, they're pulling. And once you've done that, it's hard to keep up because we want to do everything at once. And it's like, well, now, hold on. We can't declare victory yet on this area. There's still a lot of work to do and a lot of detail here. That's how I approached it, is having individual discussions with those folks to understand what are their heartburners around, what their issues are, and then just talking about how we could fix it. And Or a lot of times it was like, well, why is that such a problem for you? And they would explain why. And, be like, well, and then you'd explain, like, well, it's not really that big of a deal because there's this other thing that we could. And pretty soon you start, these discussions just are just, that's the biggest thing for me is they, these were quality dialogues they just didn't have anybody to have with before. And once you just ask them more questions, get them, try to get to the real heart of the issue, it just, one, I think it was therapeutic for a lot of them. And two, it was just like, you know, hey, you're not the only company in the world who goes through these things. There's other construction companies, other companies in general business who just struggle with these same things. You're not unique. So we got to fix it. Let's address it. And so that just it breaks down some walls and then it gets a little bit of enthusiasm going and they feel like they have a partner in crime. Dave, Dave calls me, we refer to each other often as partners in crime and that we'll brother-in-law this topic or whatever this issue with, with our folks internally. 
And so I could just tell you, I mean, he, he alone and not alone, him and a handful of other folks in the organization, you build those types of relate. There's plenty of them. There's several guys at the VP level who, and those aren't all easy discussions. And they oftentimes you have to tell them that you disagree with what they're saying wholeheartedly at my core. I don't believe in what you're saying. And so you have to go through that whole, right. Kind of tough discussion thing. Do you have an example of one of those where maybe there was an issue and, and either, either you didn't agree or they didn't agree with your assessment and you had to hash that out? So the gentleman who hired me was Matt Gray. I worked for Matt for about, he's third generation Gray family ownership, his name's on the building. And I quickly, Dave's predecessor in the COO position, and he is the quintessential top down, he will tell you, I mean, he's top down command and control, don't make a move unless I tell you type of thing. And he and I had it out in my first interview. <laughs> Before you literally correct. Literally in my interview with him for the first time, I tell people the story all the time. I thought him and I were gonna bare knuckle box right there in his office because his approach to the questions in the interview, I kept telling him like, well, I don't subscribe to that approach. I was just like, well, I don't believe in that. So if that's what you're looking for in this company, I'm, I'm not your guy. And it like, and he's come a long way from that was 10 years ago, but he would, he was essentially telling me my opinion was wrong. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but if you're asking my opinion, this is my approach. And so, so much so that, so we, we did not leave on good terms. And I thought, well, this job's a duster. And so when I came back for a second go around, he wanted some more time with me and we finally got aligned. I got an understanding of what was most important to him. And, you know, he actually walked me to my car after that interview and we had a good discussion and it went, it ended well and the rest is history. But, you know, some of the things that specifically that we just got our sideways on is, you know, I, I do more, more, more listening than telling. And, you know, if I think there's my worldview and my perspective on the world is just one of a, you know, 6 billion views of this world. So I, while I feel strong and I have conviction with a lot of how I approach my job, I don't, I don't come into it thinking that I'm the, it's the only answer. And I think he was asking me to, you know, kind of think that way. And so that perpetuated itself across all parts of our business, whether how we hired, how we developed, how we promoted all those things, you know, and I just don't think that's how you can effectively influence folks by just telling them what to think. So, so I got, I got a bunch of questions coming out of that one, but sure. first one is, so what did the second conversation look like? Was it, was it you going in and asking more questions and uncovering more from him? Was it that he had just cooled off and really thought about your answers? What, what allowed you to get better alignment? I think it was me asserting myself with him. I think it was in his mind. It was seeing if I could handle that type of tough discussions. And, you know, I could tell he was a very candid and blunt guy. And so like he, when I was answering some of his questions, he would interrupt me and I'd say, please let me finish. And like stuff like that, I think was what he was looking for that I could. So he was testing you a little bit in that first one. That's what I sense. That's what I sense. And I was just, I kind of like asserted and, you know, barked back at him. Like, well, hold on. That's not what I said. I said that a couple of times. Let me finish. And that's not what I said. We're multiple, we're repeated multiple times in that interview. And so I think every time I did that, he was like, he had a smirk on his face. So I think at the end of the day, he was just, you know, this typical, this typical construction guy just want to see if this person can handle the, you know, the heat a little bit. So see see if you can hack it. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm like, Hey man, I'm, 
I've worked for tougher guys in the construction space and I'm, I, you know, you know, if you want to do this this way, that's fine. That's not my MO, but okay, I'll, I'll play along. So it was good. And I think it earned his respect and trust. And throughout my employment with him, I mean, he just recently retired a couple of years ago. We had multiple staring contests in, in meeting rooms where, you know, it's just like, I, I don't agree with that approach. And because I don't think it's aligned with the culture we're trying to say we want to be. And so that's, well, that's a good where, point too, right? Yeah. It's not just, I don't agree with you. It's, I don't agree with you because I think this is not serving the goal that you have. Correct. That we say we have, we yeah. can't see one thing and do another. And I feel like we're, that's what's going on. And that's where I think Dave, my, my current uh, boss, I think Dave is, he wants to be sh- real sure that how people experience us, both from the client side, the employees side, our trade partners, all of our subcontractors and vendors, the community in general, how they experience us is consistent with how we describe ourselves. And so him, our job these days is run around the company finding areas where that's not happening and trying to sniff it out and address it by trying to uncover the why and trying to empower our managers to think about the business a little bit differently. And just, you know, a lot of things you do, you go in with the best intentions in mind, but there's unintended consequences. So we spend a lot of time in the organization trying to sniff out where we're not delivering what we promised in yeah. a multiple, a lot of different areas. So I love that. that. That's just the way my brain works too, is like, mm. I, I need to know the mission. I, I need to know the purpose. And if I do, then I can, then I can look at the whole thing and figure out how we get everything aligned for that purpose. But sure. if I'm not clear on the purpose, I, it feels really wishy-washy and I, I really struggle to make decisions. And so I, it's funny whether it's like, being on a nonprofit board and like trying to plan an event or like align a business or even just deal with a client. Like if, if we can't define the purpose of the exercise, it's very hard to then make decisions on it. Sure. Yeah. What are we trying to accomplish here? Right. Yeah. 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 And I can, I, be, agree. I can be that pain in the ass in a meeting. Who's like, well, can we go back to the beginning here? Like, mm-hmm. hold, well, I don't, hold on. I don't think we've got clarity yet. What are, what are we doing? I'm still confused. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I don't, I might be the only one, but I don't understand um, right. being willing to say that. So let's keep unpacking some of what you said before, which is that you like to listen more than you talk and you believe that your opinion is one of however many. Have you always been that way? No, no. <laughs> and I'm, I say I listen more than I talk, but that's probably BS. Like I'm a, I'm a hard, I'm hardwired. So we, at Great Core, we utilize, you know, there's Myers-Briggs, there's the disc, we use the PI. And so we have, we create job targets for both personalities and cognitive skills for each job. And we have a job target that if we go out and interview somebody, we, we hope to find enough similarity that they can step into the job and understand the demands of the job, you know, personality tends to matter. You don't, you don't hire a business development person who's an introvert, right? And stuff like that. And so I've been around those types of assessments my whole career. And, you know, I've done it myself and I'm, uh, I'm hardwired probably more like a construction person. It's quite assertive and a high idea generator with a, a strong sense of urgency. So, I mean, I've had to learn over time through good feedback and coaching and marriage and kids to, you know, listen and really listen to understand where someone's coming from. And it does not come natural. I have to work on it. It is hard work for me. Literally, sometimes I have to like physically bite my lip, but it's, it's important. And if you're conscientious and you do it deliberately, it's a skill you can build. And 
many people may not consider that a skill, but I do because it takes work. And so that's, you know, I mean, that's something that's evolved over time. And so we talk to our people about that quite a bit, that just, you know, when you take a personality assessment, you get your report back. I mean, those weren't facts to us from God. They are not, they don't determine who you are and what your behavior is. Yeah. You can behave differently and you can learn new skills and new, you know, behaviors over time if you work at it. And otherwise, if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't invest so much in learning and development, right? We're building up knowledge, skills, and abilities so that you can show up differently to work. You can act differently. You can do things differently. So, and we believe you can learn and develop those things. And so, but it, we tell people like, hey, this is as much work as anything else. It's like a golf swing. I mean, you got to get out and practice it. And this is actually harder than a golf swing physiologically. Um, so we just, we spend a lot of time people like, hey, if you want to put in the work, there's a reward, but it is work. And so that's just something that I have. And I, I slide back too. You know, when my temperature gauge goes up in a tough, crazy week, or I'm stressed out, that's when we warn people like, hey, your stress levels are going to, that's where we're going to see the real you. And if that's extreme, you got to be careful. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's something culturally we talk about a lot is, you know, know thyself and then try to, if you want to change and act differently, you can, but there's effort. So similar question, but you know, you just expressed a, a willingness and desire to look at yourself, be self-critical and want to improve. Was that inherent or have you learned that through mentors or, or other people? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm one of seven kids, big family, Irish Catholic. And so, yeah, I mean, I think when you're around older brothers, I have four, four brothers, two sisters. I'm the second of the youngest. So like, I think that kind of gets beaten into you a little bit. Like, you know, you got to get better or you're going to get left behind, whether it's in sports or like I would, we would joke in our family, like if you're the last to the table, you're going to be the last to eat. You're not going to be much food left for you. It's like my wife makes fun of me because I eat fast. That's not out of coincidence. You're like, no, that's a survival skill. It's a survival skill. And so I think that just the, you know, I'm a competitive person. I, you know, play sports and I'm, you know, I want to win. And I think that's part of just, I think it's a combo of the nature and nurture stuff, but I think it's been enhanced by having really great mentors throughout my career, good coaches, um, and just good people who just, who are willing to share and, and be honest with you and provide you that type of feedback. I mean, the good thing about implementing a lot of these 360s and leadership development and learning development is that I, I usually got involved with them on the front end to like test it out to see how it works and how our people would experience it. And so I got benefit out of that at an early age. And so, I mean, the first company I joined out of a college was a, a high care, high candor culture, and they really gave it to you straight. And I think I, that has served me well in my career. So I think we tend to look for people like that who are open to getting feedback and do something with it. Yeah. And it, it is interesting too, how much, if you have a little bit of drive, how much then failing becomes the impetus to try to get better. Cause you're like, Jesus, I never want that to happen again. So what do I need to do? And then, you know, sure. inevitably you fail again at some point and you're like, well, God, and now I got to get a little better and a little better. And it just sort of builds that habit in you, I think. Yeah. And then it becomes a habit, like you said. Yeah. I and mean, I think it really, then it's just like, it's who you are. Yeah. Right? You're kind of ingrained. So. Yeah. I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday, uh, actually, where we were talking about giving tough feedback and about how we want to make sure that everybody feels good. And they, they said that they were in a meeting and they were talking about making a change. And they said, well, we can't do that because you know, there can be a lot of people that don't feel good about that. 
and that don't don't like that you know it's not going to make them feel good and we had the conversation about like well some of the biggest growth moments you have are in times where you didn't feel good the whole reason you got better is because you didn't feel good you never wanted to feel like that again and Mm -hmm. so there's there is an element to candor where yeah somebody's not going to feel good but that's actually the favor that you're doing somebody yeah i mean this is that's a that's an ongoing challenge for for folks and uh, you know uh, it's tough for everybody um, yeah, and I'm, I'm no different. I don't. I don't love those conversations. I don't run towards them. But you know, depending on where you're at in your organization or in your life, I mean, whether it's family or a coworker, whatever. What's the alternative? I mean, for us, I can tell you that just in my career, going through what we went through post 9/11, with just general business falling off the table, with 2007, 8, 9, how the general economic conditions. I mean. Yes, I remember that vividly. It was before my time at Great Corps, but having to have discussions with people about losing their job and those decisions were made because maybe those folks weren't the strongest performers in the world, but those folks didn't know that. They didn't know that nobody had taken, put their arm around them and said like, hey, we really need you to improve this knowledge, skill, or ability. Otherwise, it's going to hold you back, not just at this company, but in your future. And so the alternative is that you're not honest with somebody and you don't step into your job as a, as a leader and a coach to say like, Hey, these are the things we really love what you're doing, but let me just speak to you as honestly and as specifically as I can. You're underperforming in these areas and we know you're better than that. So like, let's work on how we can build those skills and develop a plan to do so. I mean, that's easy to say right here on a podcast, but that, those are the types of conversations that we try to and develop our folks to get used to having in a very like straightforward, just like I just said it way. Like it's okay to tell someone like you're underperforming in an area, but we know you have the capacity and the skill and the potential to do it. We just need to work on it. It's just like anything else. Otherwise you're saying goodbye to people who are 40, 50 years old who have limited skill sets, knowledge, or ability because no one's taken the time to give them that tough love. And now you've crippled them to find another job. And they got kids in college or in high school. I mean, how, is that nice? Is that fun? I don't, I mean, I've been through that and it's not, it's awful. So I think on that often when I'm forced to having a tough discussion with somebody around them failing to meet expectations, because I don't say it's like, you're a bad person because you're doing this. It's like, Hey, this is our issue together. Let's work on it together. Cause we are a team but you've got some ownership. I've got some ownership. Let's work on it. And that can be easier with practice, with the right tools and with the right framework. That's what a lot of our leadership development efforts are focused on. And I don't, I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about like role play scenarios. I'm talking about their teams, their issues. What are you dealing with today with a team member that you're struggling to address? Let's talk about that because then you can go do something about it tomorrow. So that's where a lot of our leadership development and ongoing management development efforts are, are really focused on. So I was going to ask you about your leadership development, and I think you answered probably at least part of that question. So how how are you then holding those leaders accountable to having those conversations? A variety of different ways. Clarity of expectation. You're no longer an individual contributor. You just joined the ranks of responsibility to others. So like, let's unpack what all that means. Uh, you don't get to just show up and do your own individual contributor work and just leave those people in the dark. And is that a so conversation that. they're having with you one-on-one or is that like they go into a program when they become a manager and that's like a big impetus of the program or a big theme of the program? 
Yeah, I mean, that's their managers having the management discussion with them. Hey, as part, well, a couple of things at play there. I mean, part of the understanding is if someone wants to move, let's say, from an assistant project manager, which is our, I would say that's our hybrid of leader of self and leading others. They're starting to get some experience with leading a subcontractor, leading small team of interns or young project engineers. So they're just getting that informal experience of that. And so that's when they make the turn from assistant PM to project manager. So part of them getting promoted to project manager is the project manager job description and competency model has leading others activities and behaviors you have to demonstrate with some success. So before you get the job, before you get the job, you have to start demonstrating an ability to coach and develop other people. And so I would just say, just for the benefit of whoever's listening to this, if you're relying on your HR person or leadership development people to do that, you're, you're not winning. You're, you're not doing it right. Because that, that's part of the, what we were saying before is you have to have one wizard in the company and they direct all this stuff. That means you're doing it wrong. The idea with any kind of like building a safety culture or being, building a learning and development culture is effectively as I'm trying to work my way, way out of a job because the management team and leadership views it as part of their job. So it is prevalent on how people experience us as an organization. They don't need one person to just be the wizard and tell them what to do on leadership development. That's how they experience it. That's who we are. You want to get promoted at Graycore? We're looking forward to There's multiple different ways you have to be technically sound. You have to be good with clients. You have to be able to estimate. You have to be able to manage things, lead people. That's just who we are. So it's, there's multiple ways. It's understanding the job that I seek to attain, right? That's one. Two, we've had ongoing discussions through our performance management system, which is an online system that we do quarterly check-ins. And people are evaluated against their technical competence, their ability to, to lead themselves or lead others, their ability to engage with the client, and their ability to drive financial results. Those are kind of the four big pillars. And so that's ingrained to them as they go. So pretty soon they understand what's expected in the job of leading others. Now we got to try to give them some tools for their toolbox. And that's, they kind of get slowly introduced into different learning and development programs that give them those skills on how to have a tough conversation, how to address underperformance, how to have a tough discussion with a client or a sub. A lot of it is around others failing to meet an obligation and you having to address it. Right. And now you've got it. Part of it is like recognizing and, and celebrating success with just in construction. We're just not good at that. It's like, okay, well, that's just the job, but celebrating success too. So really just flushing out those, those toolboxes and making sure they got the right tools at their disposal to have the tough conversation when they need to. So it kind of builds off. It's like a, you know, we call it a, for us, it's a leadership pipeline and they make different turns along the way to leading self, leading others, leading leaders. Are there any programs or books or assessments or anything that you use through that leadership training program that you've found to be particularly effective? Oh, yeah. I mean, we start with kind of the common language of using the predictive index and then our learning indicator, which is the cognitive skills. I mean, that's, that's both a selection tool and a, a development tool because we help people understand kind of how they're hardwired and why they might behave a certain way. But we also use through our at the youngest level through our, with our young engineers going into the PM ranks, we use um, a variety of different time management assessments, uh, conflict resolution assessments. And it's just good fodder to help them kind of understand like their own natural style and skills so they can develop goals, development goals to try to get better in those areas. 
This gets back to what I was talking about before in our performance management system. So there's something I'm working on. There's something I'm running towards. So those are just a couple. And then as we get into more of the pure leadership development, it's, it's a combo of 180s, 180 degree assessment, a 360 assessment. We have within our project management system, we have a feedback tool that allows you to like, it allows me to like seek feedback on my team or team members. And I can send that out to multiple people internally that they interact with. So, so that's good assessments I can get from those people's internal clients. Tell me how my recruiters doing in areas of A, B, and C. What should they start, stop, and continue doing? You know, stuff like that. So there's a lot of different assessments I can pull. And then, you know, within our leadership development stuff for leading self and leading others, there's there's a pre-assessment that we do on a 360-degree review. And then there's a six-month after they go through the session to see if the, the behaviors have taken. So those are some assessments and tools. Our compensation and incentive compensation is set up to reinforce how well they do with leading self, leading others. They're typically the most heavily weighted factor of how they get their bonuses. So tell me more about that. Well, historically, construction companies tend to do a discretionary bonus program where it's at the end of the year, we see how much money we made and we carve out X percent to give the bonuses and then we hand them out, you know, kind of Christmas and drop checks on people's desks. Yeah. Correct. Not really sure why I got this bonus compared to what I got last year. No real explanation, understanding of how the business is doing. There's no connective tissue to, did we do better? Did we do worse? Why is my bonus more? Why is it less? I thought I had a worse year, but I got a bigger bonus. I don't understand this. So you're not really driving the right behaviors and results. And so we put in place a couple of years ago a more uh, structured, transparent incentive program. So people knew how their bonus was generated based on the company's performance and based on their own individual performance. And so essentially how the company does fills up their bonus bucket and then how well they do determines how much of that bucket they get. Yeah. And so those four factors, generally speaking, the four factors are around what I described before, which is really just how well have I stepped into the role of leading and developing others. And we have both objective measures and just what does our eyeball tell us? So it's a little art, a little science. Uh, so that's one big factor, usually the most heavily weighted factor. And then, you know, performance excellence, uh, how well we execute the job. Client engagement is a big one as measured through internal client surveys. And again, some objective, some subjective measures. And fourth is our, our financial performance of a project they're on or a group of projects, depending on that person's role. So a vice president GM, for example, they have a division. So they're evaluated against their division's profitability or operating income. And they have line of sight on that. Absolutely. It's it's how I mentioned before, we do quarterly check-ins with all of our folks. Those four questions, there's four questions in the check-in and those are the four topics. People, client, performance, excellence, and profitability. So there's, there's nowhere to run and hide. These are the things that are important to us. These are what we talk about at business planning. This is what we talk about at quarterly check-ins with our people when we provide updates quarterly about how the business is doing. Those are the four overarching goals. And people understand how their individual performance contributes to team, company, and otherwise. And we spend a lot of time. I mean, the reason that the the people development is weighted so heavily is because in our labor market, construction right now, like many, even going through COVID right now, it's tight. It's super tight. It's, It's hard to find good people and good talent who are similarly focused and like minded culturally as we are. And so we have found that the best way to go about doing that is have a really strong farm system, people coming in through college, a good feeder system, and really great them, 
along the way and keeping that pipeline full instead of having to go out and hire you know a free agent who comes from a different company with different values and just that has not worked for us we have not had success with especially to like lead a division or lead a market our batting average in that regard is really low and so what we know is successful is bringing people up through the company who we know we trust they bring that culture um we trust them and they can grow and advance the business that way yeah it's funny i mean our business too you know we we have people who've joined from the outside and they're great members of the team right now but there's definitely a fairly long period of time where they have to adjust to the culture and they you know there's some growing pains when they come in but those people who have come up through the ranks who are just hungry to get better and take all the learning opportunities like those people just wind up being fantastic leaders through the, throughout the organization yeah yeah again we're not uh, past isn't always prologue but we we know that what works for us and where it's just riskier to try to go out and do that. And we're just, we're a risk averse company in a pretty risky business. So we, we really try to manage that tightly. So we understand the damage it can do to the credibility of the management leadership team as well. When people who we've developed and brought up through a company, we talk to them a certain way and then we hire somebody who not really on board with all that. And they see it and like, how are you, how, how is this person managing me now? And what does that say to me? Yeah. You know, it's, so it's, uh, that's where we look for gaps, right? Misalignment. What, what is the hardest thing for people as they're coming up through that and you're teaching them that servant leadership that you mentioned at the beginning, like where, where do you see people have the biggest struggles in grasping that concept or, or adapting to that philosophy? Delegation, I would say is our biggest challenge, giving it away, trusting that others can do it. If not exactly the same one. I mean, part of that, part of that servant leadership, like you said before, is kind of being humble that one, you're not the only person who knows how to do this. You're not the only person who knows how to do it well. And just because someone else does it differently than you doesn't mean it's wrong. And so that's what our folks tend to struggle with is what makes them excellent individual contributors usually is their ability to do that so well, solve problems, do those individual contributor tasks. But pretty soon we, we, de- we identify that they have some other skills that we would want to take advantage of that influence the rest of the organization. And the hardest thing, I mean, we just went through a leadership development uh, cohort a couple of weeks ago and just, I mean, 80% of the room, it's like, just can't let go. And we talk about them like, well, is it can't let go, won't let go? Like, what are we, are you just, is this a baked in excuse <laughs> on how you don't fully step into your role that we hired or that we promoted you to? Like, yeah. what is this? It's defined some times, terms here. Yeah. And once you get to the heart of it, it's like, it's, I could, I could give it away. I don't want to give it away because one, right. A lot of checklist-minded folks. I checked the box of all the things I was supposed to do today. Now you're asking me to have conversations with people and grow people and coach people, and I can't see something tangible as a result of that. And so this is just, we like, hey, we get it. You're not alone. We're asking you to do some things that are less, you know, that concrete, but you're not, you know, there's, there's ways to cope here. And there's, you've got a network now, a peer group of other 22 people in the room who have gone through this. You got a hundred other people who went through it over the past three, four years. You have a network of people who understand where you're coming from and they figured it out. And it's not about perfection. It's about improvement. And if we can move the needle just a little bit with all you folks, then we're in a better place than most companies and where we're at yesterday. So giving it away, giving away the 
the technical skills, giving away that responsibility, that for us has been our, our biggest job on delegation. Yep. How do you, I was going to say, how do you help others? But this is true for you too. So, you know, you mentioned you want to work yourself out of a job. You want to give it away. Well, part of that can be scary because it's like, okay, well, I would just work myself out of a job. Now I don't have a job. What do I go do? But <laughs> I mean, the reality to that, I think is, you know, you need to be elevating yourself. Correct. So how are, at the right level. Yep. Yeah. So how are you, you can answer this either way you want. You can answer it personally or, or how you help other people, but how are you elevating then while giving it away? Well, maybe that's a bad question. No, 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 no. I get it. I think it's, I think it's a combination of having a, uh, having updated goals and targets so that you can understand like, well, like you said, like we talked about before, what is it we're trying to accomplish now at the next level? Like, what do I have? Why is it so important that I give something away? What's next? What do I have to be focused on? And so you got to start there. And I think this is just a, for me personally, this is a good discussion that I have frequently with my manager, Dave, is that like, hey, you and I have talked about accomplishing these goals for you and your department, and we haven't made much progress here. Why is that? And it's like, well, it's because I'm still onboarding my new person over here and still going through the transition. And so you got to have something to run towards. And if you have something to run towards, you can't do it all. And so some of the stuff you got to leave behind. And so for me, it's continuous improvement efforts within our our organizational development stuff. But for the day-to-day project manager, it's, hey, or let's say senior project manager, we would say like, hey, now you've got multiple jobs you have to oversee. You cannot be doing you know, the day-to-day schedule on one of those jobs when you're responsible for now multiple jobs and more than just schedule. You're responsible for all of it. So like you have to you have to give that away to that person and delegate that. And if you feel like they don't have the knowledge, skills, or abilities to do it, that's a different question that we can address. But you like you can't fully step into your role. If you're busy doing all these other things and what we'll find a lot of senior PMs will tell us is like, well, I can't do this part of my job because I have to do that part of the job. And our leaders have gotten really good at calling BS on that. Like, hey, you're not the first person who had to go through this. I went, I went through exactly what you're going through. I'm calling BS on that because this is something you and I have talked about throughout your career. You know, you got to be willing to give it away. So it's, um, I think it's gotten healthier that you don't get to, you don't get to tell yourself or your manager, like, I, I want to, but I can't. They, you get called out on that pretty quick. That, hey, this is, you have to step into the, into the job. Now, the balance with us, just to be clear here, I mentioned before, we're a mid-sized company. We're pretty flat. And there is the challenge of sometimes flying down a level so that a job doesn't get sideways. The challenge is you can't stay there. Like we tell our people like, hey, it's up to you to figure out the balance of when you go down into the weeds to make sure that the end result for the client is positive, but you don't get to live there. You have to get out of that because there's still this other work you need to get done. And so that's the challenge that we, I, I would tell you, we just spent a lot of time with our folks telling them like, hey, you got to figure out how to fly at the right level. And that's way more art than science. There's no playbook for that. That just comes with experience. Yeah. I think a lot of businesses have that. We definitely have that, you know, and I've seen people get, you get stuck flying down a level and you, you got to get them back out of it again. But yeah, it's ongoing. 
it's good to have, I mean, the, the key there is having a culture that kicks you in the ass and gets you going again, you know, where you're not allowed to just live there and you can't just suffer in that zone where, where they're going to come in and they're going to support you and say, no, no, I'm going to call BS. You got to get out. So you got to fix it. You got to go through whatever that pain's going to be to figure this problem out because, because we're not going to accept this. And ultimately that's to your point about, you know, it's not nice to just let somebody sit there, you know, cause you know, there's going to be a long-term problem. Like that's the, you're doing the kind thing by giving them a little kick in the pants and getting them back in gear. And that's the key for us is that there's a combo of empathy, but there's also like a high standard. So like we yeah. understand why what we're telling you is we're not going to just let you just wallow, you know, wallow along down there. So we, you know, that's the, that's the tough love that, Hey, I, I had to go through it. You're going to go through it. It's let's just address this head on. Let's, let's not act like this isn't an issue because it is an issue. And that's where like for our culture, I think we're just gotten way better at just calling balls and strikes for the way we see them. Yeah. Well, that's really high performance, right? Because empathy is not some, let's all hug it out and everything's going to be okay. Kumbaya thing you know, there can be some teeth behind empathy, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it, it's tough just, love. yeah, yeah. It's that, that tough love piece and, and you can have both. We tell our people like, Hey, I mean, if you need to say it this way, say it this way. Like, Hey, I care enough about you and your career to tell you, I think you're all messed up right now, That I think you're focused on the wrong things. I think you're spending time on the wrong thing. I, if I didn't care enough about you, I would just let you go along messing up the way you are until one day I told you I had to fire you. Like you want that? So like, this has been, this is how we talk to candidates about coming. If you come work here, it is like, it's a high, it's a high bar. I mean, we expect a lot and we talk this way. So if you, if you don't like talking this way or hearing it this way, like you're never really going to like it here. Well, I think about that. It sounds like parenting too. You mm-hmm. know, you're not going to let your kid just keep getting away with something that you know is going to cause a problem for him down the road. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like my kids every day. Like, well, there's, you know, Johnny's parents don't say that to him. Like, well, I'm in this house, fella. <laughs> this is how this is how we do it here. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna find out someday. You know what that what that ends up with. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Johnny's winning now, but he's gonna lose in the long run. Long run. Yeah, well, discipline. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. I got just a couple more kind of quick questions that I wrap up with sometimes uh, with people. You know, we're headed into the COVID winter here and it, it can be kind of tough. And, you know, in your industry, there's a lot of potentially negative implications as things shut down. What are you most excited about? Well, a couple of things. I mean, it's crazy to even talk this way, but our business is really healthy right now. We went into, you know, our 20 results are already in our fiscal year ended in the end of September. So our 20 results are in the book and we're already on our next fiscal year starting October 1. And last year ended way more positive than we were expecting the COVID kind of happening. And we are super optimistic of what it looks like for the year we're in and the next two to three years we're really bullish about. I know general industry is a little scary and a little unknown right now, but we are feeling positive. So that, that helps a lot. That's one. More personally, I'm enthusiastic and excited about our pipeline of talent. We just went through a talent review. Dave Wing and I did, our, our COO, we just went through a talent review, a succession planning depth chart thing with our board of directors just a couple of weeks ago. 
And I just, I mean, well, we, we certainly have some gaps in some areas, but we got a lot to be excited about in our talent pipeline at the project management level, assistant project management level, the project engineer level. I mean, we're, you know, we're going through and doing like evaluating performance and potential and like impact if they were to leave us. And we're like talking glowingly about a group of project engineer, a class of project engineers where we had more, I mean, normally you got a normal distribution of kind of your mid-tier players, your low players, and your high player. We were heavy, top heavy for like high talent, high potential folks. Like, you know, our biggest challenge is like, well, how are we going to quickly find opportunities for these folks to quickly promote them? I mean, they are very talented. And so I just get, I don't know, I'm like, it's weird, but I get amped up about, you know, I do coaching with my kids, baseball and, and basketball and stuff. And I just get really enthusiastic and excited about watching people achieve and just watching them kick some butt and do well. And, and we've got a bunch of them that have so much potential. I mean, it's a testament to our management team and really the, the coach. We talk a lot about developing a coaching tree, like who's on your tree, like who have you developed Yeah, uh, and paying it forward and all that. I mean, that's a lot about how we talk about our business and this guy's got a lot to be excited and enthusiastic about and proud about because we've got some really talented folks who are going to do some pretty awesome things and are going to really advance our business, give us so much more flexibility and options to grow the business because we got the talent to do so. So that, I mean, just going through that last week, it was so like, man, I can't look at this. This is incredible. So congratulations. Uh, so yeah. That, yeah. That, that yeah. I mean, good. it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, normally you're like, oh God, what are we going to do if someone leaves? But we've got, you know, again, that's always an ongoing concern about risk of, you know, retention risk and what happens if the impact of loss and all that, we go through all those iterations, but we feel like we could maintain if someone, if we did have some bad things happen, but um, hopefully we don't because we create a place where people want to come and stay, but feeling good about that. That's really good. So my last question is one that I, that I've asked everybody and curious on your thoughts. What is the purpose of business? Well, that's pretty esoteric. That's that's big picture stuff. I mean, I mean, um, your, your opinion doesn't have you don't have to give some earth shattering answer. But I'm just curious, kind of your take on on the purpose of business. What's the point of the whole exercise? The whole effort. I mean, to me, it is. It should be an ongoing, sustained machine to provide. I mean, just that is intended in my mind, just to raise the quality of living for everybody. I mean, you think about the give and the take and the value proposition between an employee and an employer. You know, I think there's oftentimes, I mean, this time of year tends to be one of those times of year where you reflect on like, what do we have? What does our family have? What are, what are we able to provide our children, our families, our extended families? Like, you know, it's tough to do inventory like that when you're just stuck in your day to day, but it's important to take stock and do some inventory on like the difference between like, I always use the difference between how I grew up and how I live today and the opportunities afforded to me to grow my career and grow my sphere of influence with others and have some fun and kick a little ass and um, do good, do good for others and uh, help them achieve and do that for their group whatever their clan looks like. I don't know what their clan looks like, but you know, I mean, I think that's, I think that's kind of the point to the point where I have outworn my usefulness here and it happens to align with the time that I'm probably interested in not being around this anyway. 
And now I'm going to go do something else that looks like chasing a little white little ball around a golf course all day. I mean, I think that's, it kind of works. It's got this nice kind of like timing of it that like I contribute a lot. Now it's time for me to go and let someone else contribute a lot. Just perpetuating the whole society. Correct. So that young people can gain wisdom and learn from our stupid mistakes, provide for their group and and the whole thing just continues on a cycle and those people then you know take care of old geezers like us when we're you know kind of who need it you got a few more years left yeah that's true and and it's interesting to to begin the discussion about like what do the next 10 years need to look like so yeah i definitely got some time left and i've got a lot to contribute i hope i can and continue to be provide value to folks but i mean to me it's just like I, who was I talking to about this? You know, early in your career, it, you really focus on what can you get? What can I get? I want more money. I want a big job. I want a big, big title. I want to, you know, whatever. But pretty soon, you just mentally, you make the shift to what can I give? Like, and who am I? What legacy am I leaving? What are people going to say about me when I'm gone? That is more important to some people than others, but it happens to be important to me that I hope that I left a positive influence on others and a good stamp on them in their career so that they can do the same for others. That's to me is the whole pay it forward thing. And I just, regardless of your religion, your faith, whatever, I think that just good people tend to do and think that way. And I think that that's good and healthy for our society, our economy, our country, yada, yada, yada. I think that was a beautiful answer. That was great. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have had uh, a hell of an impact over the first 10 years at Great Core, and uh, it'll be fun to see what you can do over the next 10. So I appreciate that. We're having some fun. Yeah. Some fun. Well, yeah. thank you for coming on here. Really appreciate it. I'm excited to share this. I think there's this is a very dense conversation, and I think there's a sure. lot in here for people to unpack and a lot of the issues that you've worked through, a lot of issues that other people are going through. So I think it will be helpful and, and appreciate you sharing. I'm glad to hear that. Appreciate the comment. Yep. It's good. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, all done for now. Thanks again. Hey folks, one last thing before you go, if you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.